You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Betsy's brother, my brother-in-law, um, has, he has season tickets to the Carolina Panthers games. Any Panther fans here? Get a few? Okay. Well, I'm a big Minnesota Vikings fan. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll talk after the service. So. so anyways, a couple of years ago, the Vikings came to town. And they were playing, and so he invited me to go with him. And uh, honestly, I don't remember the, who won the game. I don't remember uh, the outcome. However, I do remember vividly the guy we encountered on the way back to our car. Um, I'll refer to him as Bullhorn Guy. <laughs> you know the guy I'm talking about? Okay. He's standing on a street corner. And uh, he's got placards, you know, around him. Sometimes there's a cross that's set up there. And he's got this megaphone, and he's yelling at the people walking towards him coming out of the stadium. Um, and it's a very simple message. He's telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't accept Jesus. Uh, very confrontational in its approach. Now, we could discuss we can have a really good discussion on the rightness or wrongness of of that approach. Um, Honestly, on the one hand, there are some parallels to that behavior with what we see in the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets were in your face, obnoxious. They They were that way. So there are some parallels to that. However, on the other hand, as an evangelism strategy, it's terrible. It's, uh, it's just a terrible strategy. Most people, even Christ followers who were coming out of the stadium, are not drawn to him. I mean, even where we're like, or do we walk in the other side of the street? You know, how do we avoid? Just, it's, it's an uncomfortable way. They really, they, most people want to go the other way. They don't really want to engage this kind of a person. So here's the thing. The more we study the words of Jesus, we discover that there are times when Jesus came across like bullhorn guy. And today's sermon has that potential to feel that way. I'm going to do my best to not create that sense, but there's that potential. If you recall, for the last five weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And some really cool things we're talking about that. We learned that Jesus came to earth to usher in God's kingdom. And that's a great thing. Things were about to change. The way things were, were about to change and things would be different. And then we looked at, um, for three weeks, we looked at the eight different beatitudes or the blessings that Jesus gave as the prelude or as, uh, as he began this, his Sermon on the Mount. The very beginning of his ministry. Again, his talk was, things are going to be different. And he talked to the people who had been oppressed and people who were struggling with life. And he gave them hope and said, things are going to be so much better in the kingdom of God. The last week, we, we talked about Pentecost and how when the Holy Spirit came, that, that it wasn't just the, the God's Spirit out there, but that it resided within us and that we, had, we possessed, those who called Jesus Lord, possessed this Holy Spirit within us at all times. These were amazing things, great things, exciting things, uh, very encouraging things for everyone who would call Jesus Lord. That was, that was part of what we've been looking at so far. The words of Jesus we're going to look at this morning have a very different feel to them. It's actually uh, from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to uh, read verses 14 to 30. Many of you know this story as the parable of the talents. So verse 14 from Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now let me pause here. What's a talent? Any ideas? Okay, then you, you're actually something, you said something significant. You said at that time it was money. Because there's, in the Bible, we actually have a different understanding of talent. Um, in the Old Testament, well, we first see the word talent show up in Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's when they're taking an inventory of all the materials used to build the tabernacle. And it talked about the gold. In fact, Exodus 38 uh, says, All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents. Now, a talent is uh, the heaviest unit of weight that's used in the Bible. It's about 75 pounds. So 75 pounds, and it took 29 talents. So who can do the math? Who's got... uh, that's a, that's a lot. That's a big weight. Um, that's a lot of gold. Um, there's actually, in the, or it's one of the Old Testament references for David where he killed the king. The king who they conquered, he took his crown and put it on his own hand, and the, the crown weighed one talent. Um, that's a heavy crown. Um, but in the New Testament, however, it shifts. The talent referred to as the largest unit of currency. Now, there is... No consensus as to the value of that currency, except that it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so the, for, for the one servant to have five talents of silver, by some different estimates, that this was a multi-million dollar kind of equivalent, that this was significant form of money. Um, there's some estimates say that um, one talent is equal to 20 years of, of wages from a common laborer. So one talent would take 20 years for a common laborer to earn one talent. So again, we're talking about significant sums of money here that were being traded by this, um, this master giving them to his servant. So while the amounts are significant, we are going to come to see that they're really not that relevant uh, to the story. Um, what is relevant is verse 15, the one we just read, where the master gave the talent to his servants, each according to his ability. He didn't give it to each servant. He didn't give each servant the same amount. Nor did he give more to the guy he liked best. Okay, the the criteria for his dispersing of the the talents was their ability. And at this point in the story, we're not clear what the ability is. Ability to do what? It doesn't really say. So let's keep reading. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of these servants, the man... Um, something missing? After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this, this story, this parable that Jesus gave. And uh, um, Father, we, there's a lot of uh, parts to this and a lot of things that are culturally influenced. And at the same time, there's a clear intent of Jesus that there's an expectation that we do things uh, according to what's been given to us. So, Lord, as we unwrap that a bit more, I just pray for grace. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to each of us what we need to hear this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I'm listening to Jesus tell this story, I'm not really left with a warm and fuzzy feeling. And it's kind of have a, it kind of has a sobering feeling to it, doesn't it? Like, wow, that's kind of ruthless. Throw them out in darkness and like, oh, that's not very nice. And now it's important to point out here a couple things. One is that immediately before this story, Jesus told another story. He told three stories back to back to back. This is the second one. Right before it, he told the story, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids who weren't ready when the groom came. And again, there is a whole cultural understanding of how that, how that engagement, the wedding ceremony worked and why that was, uh, why, why, why what happened happened the way it did. But clearly the message there was be ready, be ready, be prepared. Don't take things for granted. Then he talks about this parable. Um, and here, clearly what we're talking about is accountability. They were, that each of those servants were given a, their respective talents or gifts. They were expected, the expectation was they did something with that. So there again, accountability is being taught here. And then immediately after he tells this story, what I just read, Jesus actually takes a breath and tells another story. And this, this one, um, he's talking about um, a, um, a story called uh, sheep and goats. It's a parable of the sheep and goats. There again, it's one of these things where the sheep think they're, or the goats think they're sheep and think they're doing fine. And Jesus says, no, you're not doing fine and cast them out. And again, it's one of these, whoa, what just happened kind of stories. And so all three of these are the kind of messages where these are not warm and fuzzy feelings. These are not the kind of things where you walk out and say, wasn't that great? I just feel alive and encouraged. And no, they're real sobering. It's like, What's going on here? And so that really, I think that's the other thing that I think is important to point out here at this uh, time is that um, if we understand 
uh, this, the, these stories came in Matthew 25, verse 1 of chapter 26. If we understand that correctly, when Jesus spoke these parables, he's going to be dead in two days. So these are some of the very last words spoken by Jesus. These are some of the last opportunities he's had to talk to his followers. So with that in mind, that's the case. What was Jesus wanting his followers to understand? What was he trying to tell them and us through these stories? So I think there's a few things that we can glean from this. I think one is that we've been entrusted with God's gifts of time, talent, and treasure. I love what I see God doing in us and through us, the life of our faith community. I, uh, you know, I think about those who are trying to um, position themselves for other opportunities. I know, uh, where's Cameron? Is he still in it? Is he left? I mean, the rigorous training he went through to become a paramedic. Um, now he's actually working on his undergrad degree and, and, rep, and finishing up that here within the next year. So this time next year, we should actually have a college thing for him because he'll be graduating, finishing up that. Thomas Alexander is uh, working on his PhD. Again, both of them are this, trying to position themselves for other opportunities that God might lead. And then, so that's just, I love seeing that. I love the, what I see, the generosity that I see among our congregation. Um, I already mentioned just the general giving, but there's been times when certain needs pop up with some of our families. We saw that with, with uh, the Burfords, when Ron had his heart surgery and how our congregation stepped in. And we saw some things again, you know, with, with uh, Kara and the way some of the women rallied around her and just blessed and loved on her. And, and here's the thing. I know there's things that go on and there's things that you do that I don't know about. That's always the danger in acknowledging certain things is, is I miss that. And so please share me when I acknowledge these type of things, it's not to, to give and focus on, th- on them particular. It's just to celebrate what God is doing through us. The thing also is, the other area where I see this constantly is just in the way you're willing to give your time. Time today is a person's most valuable commodity. Most people would rather write you a check than give you their time. That's just kind of how we're wired these days. And, and yet I love the fact that, you know, Lisa took two days to take Elaine to get her vaccine and a couple hour trip each way. And um, Steve Morissette, uh, you know, has come here a couple of times to set up banners, to hang banners out by the road or uh, during the week. Or there's been other things where we've needed his help with during the week because none of us are actually up here or weren't up here. We needed someone to be up here. The fact that someone of you who help with the tech um, stuff or musicians or vocalists, um, or that you're teaching with the kids, you give up time to prepare and practice, rehearse, and you give up your time during the services. And again, many of you serve in ways that go unrecognized, that people don't know about. And I love that about us. I love that about us. So again, I share these examples, not because I want the rest of us to do what they do. I want us to realize how many ways there are to use our time, talent, and treasure. So, and that's why the words of Jesus, when he told this parable are so important, the master passed out talents, each according to his ability. The master knew what each one was capable of doing. He didn't expect the three servants to handle their talents the same way. And that really makes so much sense when you think about it, doesn't it? I mean, think about just us. Some of us are just different stages of life. Uh, some of us who have, you know, young kids and, and, you know, we're just trying to scramble to keep 
our time, you know, our time is so valuable because there's what's happening to them trying to with the school or just all the other things that come with raising young children. Compare that with some of us who are now empty nesters and, you know, we're, there's time is a very different feel. And some of us have just different life circumstances. Some of us are older. Some of us are younger. Some of us um, are, have health challenges. Some of us are healthy and strong. And, you know, some of us are just, we have personal interests that are different. I mean, God has wired all of us so diverse and differently. And um, we have different skills. Some of us are outgoing. Some of us are quiet. And some of us are creative. Some of us can appreciate creativity. But um, each of us is so very different. And that's the way God wants it. That's the way God wants it. He wants us to be different, again, because he recognizes that we are to use those gifts, whatever they are, whatever our season of life allows, whatever other circumstances in life allow, that's what he's wanting us to to give. Jesus told this parable because he wanted us to know that we have been entrusted with time, talent, and treasure given to us by God. Given to us by God. Jesus also told this parable because he wanted us to know that we will have to give an account to God for how we have stewarded his goods. Verse 19 uh, in the passage we read says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. We don't know what that means, that length of time. We, We don't know if that was, we know it was more than days. I mean, we can assume that we're probably talking months maybe even a year or two. We just don't know. But it was a significant amount of time. But he returned and settled accounts with them. Now that part of the story feels a little less comfortable, doesn't it? Now we're good with the first part of the story. You mean God's given us gifts? Woohoo! You know, that's great. Uh, But when we get to this part of the story, we discover that the talents aren't for our own personal enjoyment and pleasure. We have to remember that a steward is responsible to manage the affairs of the master. And at some point in time, the servant, the steward, has to give an account for what they did. At some point in time, that happens. And yes, God has given each of us time, talent, and resources. But one day, each of us will stand before him and have to answer the question, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, it's important to, to also point out here that the numbers used, so the one sermon, had, he had five talents and, and made five more. So from five to 10, one had two, made, had two more, so it's two to four. Those, those numbers really aren't relevant. The relevant part of the story is that the third servant didn't even try. That's the point of the story. How the other servants made their money, he doesn't identify, he doesn't indicate. We're really left wondering what that, how that was even possible. But the point of the story is that the third servant didn't even try. We're to use our time, talent, and resources for God's glory, not just our own enjoyment and pleasure. Now, even so, being a steward doesn't mean that we don't receive any personal benefit. As stewards, we will be rewarded according to our faithfulness in managing God's assets. Now, to the two servants who used the talents wisely, the master told them this, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Listen to this. Come and share your master's happiness. 
Now, have you ever been told by a boss or somebody that uh, said, wow, you really handled that project really well, or you did a really good job with that? We want that to become a regular part of your job description. You ever hear that? And she goes like, really? I'm getting a promotion? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) So you mean I'm getting a raise? No. So you're just giving me more work to do? Congratulations. (laughs) This isn't that type of story. Okay? This isn't that type of story. We have no idea what the two servants did to increase their talents. Again, we don't know that. We don't know, there's actually reference to a banker and interest. We understood, so we know that that exists at the time. We know the master was gone for a long time, so there could have been a lot of different ways. But all we know for sure is that their use of the talents pleased the master. And so he put them in charge of many things. But then he also said this, come and share your master's happiness. The, the English Standard Version says, enter into the joy of your master. And the New Living Translation says this, let's celebrate together. Clearly, there were perks and benefits to serving this master. They were valued, they were treated well, and they were compensated for their time and effort. For each of us, we too hope to hear similar words from God when we stand before him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. So we're in a series. We did the one called Your Kingdom Come, Your Will Be Done is where we're at right now. So what does this parable have to do with your will be done? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Two thoughts as I close with these. We know Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to earth. He said, that's why I came. I came to to usher, to bring in God's kingdom. We also know that God's kingdom is established wherever his people, filled with the Holy Spirit, are obedient. So wherever we go, we bring God's kingdom. Therefore, we should leverage God's goods for establishing and extending his kingdom on earth. Listen, this parable is not adding more stuff to your life. That's not what this is about. It's about being obedient to God by using the stuff he's already given you for his kingdom. Whether that's time, whether that's talent, whether that's resources, whatever it is God has given you, use that. Now remember, the, the master initiated the exchange with the servants. They were his servants. They didn't have to go looking for this extra work to do. They didn't come up and offer and volunteer the master sought them out. They just had to be available and then do what they were asked to do when it happened. Similarly, you and I don't have to feel guilty about what we're not doing. We just need to be obedient and do the things God might bring to us, which means we encounter the neighbor a couple houses down or there's something happening there, or maybe it's you become aware of a need or become aware of something else, and it's an opportunity, and it fits within your parameters. I mean, it's something you can do, and are you going to be obedient to that? Unfortunately, most of the time, in my experience, when I feel God asking me to do something, it's not an audible, physical person. That's one of the, things about, that's one of the shortcomings about the story in our case, is that the master was a tangible person where you could actually see, hear, 
and experience them. When it comes to the Holy Spirit or God prompting us, sometimes it's an intuitive thought. Trusting that thought as being from God is key and significant. But when we sense that and when we understand that God is actually speaking to us, this parable then says, all right, what are you going to do with that? When you know it's from him, when you know it's from God, what are you going to do? You and I have been given gifts and time and talent and resources, not for our own benefit and pleasure, but to build and contribute to God's kingdom here on earth. And my second thought about your will be done has to do with God's, also has to do with God's kingdom, his ultimate perfect kingdom to come. And that's this. Management of our temporary time on earth is shaping what we will experience in eternity. Simply put, what we do on earth prepare us, prepares us for what's to come. I love the way Paul framed this in uh, his letter to the, uh, the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor to the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, the ways that you do speak to us. And uh, Father, I ask and pray that uh, each of us, as we've heard this story and as we've kind of unwrapped it a bit, that we leave here with a conviction, not that we need to do more, but that we're going to be paying better attention to what you might be saying to us. Uh, Father, I'm convinced that each of us, there's times where you, our master, have called us and asked us to engage and we either weren't paying attention um, well, that's probably it. We just weren't paying attention and we missed an opportunity to do something significant. So Lord, may, we, may each of us here have that conviction that we want to listen better. And Father, then I also pray that as we do sense your leading, that we would come to trust those thoughts and impressions as you, as from you and as from your Holy Spirit. And it's not just a random wild idea, but that we would recognize that as being distinctly different. And then, Father, may we have the courage to actually take the step of faith. These men in this parable, the two servants, they invested talents for the pleasure of their master, for the benefit of the master. And, Father, may we invest our talents, whether that's time, whether that's resources, um, or skills and abilities, whatever it might be, Lord God, may we be willing to invest those, to give those to you in service to others. Father, your expans- the expansion of your kingdom here on earth includes us. We're the ones that carry the Holy Spirit into relationship with others. We're the ones who expand your kingdom by the way we engage those around us. Help us to lead, help us to do so with power and strength and courage and boldness, knowing that uh, your spirit resides within us. We don't have to be afraid. So, Lord, again, we just commit ourselves to your purposes. We commit ourselves to what you desire to do in us as a congregation. And, Father, what you desire to do through us as we reach and connect others. And, Father, we do all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.